Well, whether you are ready for it or not, the Christmas season is here, all right? And God threw in some snow just for some cherry on top for us. And so I don't know if you're ready, if you finished all your, your Christmas shopping or not, or some of you haven't even started yet, please follow the Lord and start obeying um, his call in your life. But no, we, uh, we're excited for Christmas season here, as you can see in the lobby and on the stage. And uh, we also have three Christmas Eve services that we are excited and preparing for. And, and today we have um, our Christmas Eve invite cards that you can grab some on the way out. Uh, the, 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 the whole theme on Christmas Eve is the greatest gift ever. We're going to unpack the greatest gift ever in word and in song and in story. And uh, what I love about these invite cards uh, is because it's the greatest gift ever, they're like those cards you put on gifts so they know who they're for and where they're from. Because on the back side is the two you write their name in, from you write your name. And you can hand them this, you can, whether it's a coworker or a friend, neighbor, family member. You can take pictures of these and text them out as invite cards. And so we ask that you would grab some at the end of this service and uh, invite your friends and neighbors and family to one of our Christmas Eve services. Now we, and now this is helpful for me to remind myself of this and uh, to remind you as well. We are living in a post Christian culture in America, a post-Christian culture in America. Uh, what's, where the teachings, the morals, the values that had a heritage in the Judeo-Christian ethic system and all that teaching that was once common is no longer common. What was basic teachings of Christianity and the Christmas story and, and all that, what was well known and very common is not known by many in our culture today. I just, just want to remind us that that is the reality. So when it, when it comes to Christians or Christmas in our post-Christian culture, we got to understand that when it comes to Christmas, the the real Christmas story has been ignored, forgotten, and mostly replaced. Replaced by lights and music and gifts and Santa Claus. Now, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy some of those aspects for your Christmas. That's fine. But to not replace the Christmas story. Because the real reason for the Christmas season is that the Messiah came. And his name is Jesus. That's what it is all about. So therefore, we are starting a three-Sunday series called Mary's Christmas. Strategic play on words, Merry Christmas, Mary's Christmas. We're going to look at the Christmas story through her eyes. And the passion that I have, the goal that I have in these three Sundays, is for us to remember that Mary was a real person real feelings and fears and emotions. Sometimes we can just read through a story in, in Scripture and go, oh, yes, there it is, and forget to really place ourselves into the situation that this is a real person we're talking about. Someone just like us, that they're real. So I hope that that goal is realized um, this season. Turn to Luke chapter 1, if you would, Luke chapter 1. Um, if you uh, 
if you come here and you're new and you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to, to you can borrow one on the back table. We have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can take one home uh, for you. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn to Luke chapter 1. Now the Christmas story begins in the first century. And in that first century, the lifespan is, was much shorter than it is today. The lifespan in the first century was between 35 and 50. Can you imagine at turning 35 and go, well, uh, my days are numbered and, and, and the end is near. That is why they would marry early. It was very common for couples in their teenage years to get married. And Mary in the Christmas story, many theologians say, was approximately 15 to 16 years old. I heard of 12, but my brain just can't go there. But, you know, a, t- a teenager, she was pretty young. Now, it says in the story that she was betrothed. We don't use that word because we don't apply the same meanings. Betrothed to, J- to, to Joseph. Uh, that, that is similar but much higher standard than being engaged because when someone was betrothed, they were technically and legally speaking, they were married. They were viewed as a married couple. Now, they didn't consummate their marriage until after the wedding ceremony. But between being betrothed and the ceremony, that gap, and it sometimes it took a while, would, would, mean, would give the, the young man the time to go to his father's house. Jesus kind of painted a picture uh, in the book of John on this, but the guy would go to his father's house and add on to his father's house many rooms, his rooms for his new family. And that, then, then, then he would call out to, to the bride and then he would take her to the wedding ceremony and then after the wedding they would go to live with, at, at, in the father's house, the, the compound. And so that would take place. Now, legally speaking, and morally speaking, when they were betrothed before the wedding ceremony, legally and morally, they were committed to each other in the sight of their friends, family, and God. So in this story that we're going to talk about again, got to understand the weight behind the words that are written down. Now, God arranged for Luke to be the author of the Christmas story. Luke was an author, if you're new to Bible study, he was an author, he was a doctor, and he was also an historian. And when he wrote, he wrote two books in the Bible, Luke and the book of Acts, he's very detailed, very precise, and he gives names and places and titles and, and regions and, and, and estimated times. I mean, he wanted to factually put down on paper the story. Luke was not a Jew. He was a, he was a Gentile Christian who was very knowledgeable uh, in the, about the Hebrew world. He was a follower of Jesus, but he wanted to be so accurate in his writing that he wanted eyewitness accounts. He wanted to talk to people who were there, who saw, who experienced, who heard, so that he can write down accurately the story about Jesus Expl- explains in chapter 1, verse 1. This, this is what he's talking about, his goal, his aim. Chapter 1, verse 1, many, Luke says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those uh, who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It's a name for Jesus. With this in mind, 
since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. These aren't myths, these aren't fables, they're not made up stories. I talk to eyewitnesses to write down what happened. So as we're gonna talk about Christmas story through the eyes of Mary, this is, she sits down with Luke years after the resurrection, years after Jesus has ascended to heaven. And I just can imagine Luke saying, hey Mary, we, we need to talk. What happened? So all that we know about the Christmas story, Mary told Luke and gave him the details. So let's jump down to verse 26, chapter 1. In the sixth month, see, very accurate, sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, I'll talk about that in the coming weeks, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to give... Oh, going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I'm going to unpack what happened and what what was said and how she responded with real feelings, with real emotions, with real questions, because she's a real person, real person. Uh, first it says that Mary was greatly troubled, greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this must be. Again, this is right out, out of the gate. At her, at her very beginning encounter with this angel, this is not greatly troubled of what he said would come, but his words. Notice that it says he, she's greatly troubled at his words, not at his appearance. It, it, in scripture, many times an angel would appear to a human being and they would fall to the ground in fear. I mean, they were frozen in fear and they would say, don't, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Sometimes they would worship the angel and they said, get up, don't worship me, I'm not to be worshiped. But she was greatly troubled at his words, meaning how he greeted her. Greatly troubled means perplexed and confused. Like, I am really confused of how you addressed me. Mary, you are highly favored by God. 
and the Lord is with you. That perplexed her and confused her. Now that phrase, highly favored, was only given to two human beings in the Old Testament that God said, you are highly favored. This is an elite class. It was given to Noah and was given to Moses. I think one of the reasons why she was greatly troubled, perplexed, confused, is like, I am not in their category. I'm not even in their hemisphere. And the Lord is with me. Now, I can understand the Lord being with Noah and the Lord being with Moses. I can understand the Lord being with the prophets and the Lord being with the priests and the high priests. And in that culture, she could even think, I can understand why God is with men, not me, a teenage girl. She was confused at his words, at his greetings. Mary, you who are highly favored by God, and the Lord is with you. That, that is what kind of tripped her up. And then it says, and she wondered. Now, she's just like us. When we're hearing information for the first time, our brain processing system is happening uh, at the speed of light, right? You think of all certain scenarios. Uh, you're thinking of comebacks. You're thinking of all how it all fits together. And she's confused. She's complex. But also she wondered. It means she pondered. She was thinking. It also means in the original Greek language, it's to balance accounts. It's like, how does that, how does that, how does that fit? She's processing People that were highly favored and the Lord was with them, and now it's me, a teenager, let alone a teenage girl. How do I balance those accounts? I, I don't measure up to those people. Why, why is an angel coming to me from God? She could not balance that account, she, and her brain was just spinning. And then the angel replies, do not be afraid, because I think there was a a little bit of fear there, meaning God is sending the messenger, what is he going to tell me? Maybe there's some fear. He says, do not be afraid. And then I loved how God, through the angel, affirmed her by saying, Mary, you have found favor with God. God has been noticing you and your life and your attitude and your choices. He affirmed you are highly favored. And the Lord is with you. I love those reassuring words. And then after that, he said, now, you will conceive a child. And he's saying, you're going to conceive the Messiah. The Messiah. I don't know if she really heard what he also, after he said about David's kingdom and the kingdom forever. She's probably processing because of what happens next of like, uh, I'm going to what? So then, therefore, she asks a logical question. She says, um, a question, how will this be since I'm still a virgin? This is not pushback. This is a, a real question from a real person who like, uh, what? How will this happen? I'm a virgin still. And then the angels gave her a little theology lesson. He said, the Holy Spirit that's one part of the Trinity. The, the Lord Most High, that's God the Father, are going to make it happen so that the Son of God is conceived by you. God's going to do it supernaturally. That's how she's hearing all this. And then she responds by saying, 
I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. We're going to keep unpacking this, but if you're taking notes, here's a central point. Don't miss this. This is a super important. Obedience by faith is the highest form of obedience. Obedience by faith is the highest form of obedience. See, there's different ways to obey. Uh, one way people obey is out of fear. I mean, this is the fear of like, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'm going to obey my mom and dad. Or I, I don't want to get in trouble with the law, so I'm going to do it. Man, if there wasn't the law, if there wasn't my parents, I probably wouldn't obey. But I'm going to obey because of fear. That's an okay way of, of obeying. It's better than disobedience. But that's the lowest form of obedience, by fear. Another form of obedience is by duty. Like, that's my job. I'm going to be a responsible, mature person. I'm going to go ahead and obey. That's an acceptable form of obedience, but it's not the highest. Then there's even respect. I'm going to obey because I respect the person telling me to do something. I may, I may disagree. I may not want to. But because I respect them and their role in my life, I'm going to go ahead and obey. That is a good reason to obey, but it's not the highest. This is the highest form of obedience. Is that Mary, uh, Mary is going to obey by complete faith. I mean, this, is, this makes no sense, but she's, she's willing to, to, to do what God wants to do through her. Uh, th this, is, uh, you know, this is absolutely impossible, but I'm going to place my trust in God and his word anyways. She, she is completely obeying by faith. Not by facts, not by other emotion, not by duty, not even by respect. She's going to completely step out in pure faith. And I believe that's the highest form of obedience. Now, I've, I've told the story over the years of how Kenny and I met and that whole story. And if you've been around a while, you've heard it. But with so many new people, I'll give you the cliff note version. Okay, so I'm not even going to look over in the general direction of my wife because she'll start shaking her head, all right? Not, that, not in disagreement, but here he goes again, okay? I met Candy, um, 18 years old, freshman at Liberty, uh, Liberty University in Virginia. And uh, we met in a TV room watching preseason football. She's a huge Dallas Cowboy fan. She still needs to meet Jesus, but she's uh, still a, a Dallas Cowboy fan. And a packed room and sat down, met her, found out her name was Candy. She had me at Candy. Then found out she was also from California. I was also from California. And we began a conversation. And uh, I knew early on in our friendship, and it was a friendship at first because she was engaged with someone else. Minor speed bump um, in my life. But uh, I knew early on, I love this girl. I want to marry this girl. I, mean, I was 18 years old, and I was... I was smitten by candy. And uh, so we, we started have a friendship. I mean, we did everything together. We talked about everything, went to all the games, ate meals, chapel, all the sort of stuff. And uh, she eventually broke things off with the guy she was engaged to. And so I'm like, here's my chance. And it was, it was not to be at first. And, and so I, I would pursue her. We'd get close and I'd get my hopes up. And then she would move a little bit away. You know, we're just friends, you know, friends. And I would pursue her and she kept doing this and I kept doing this. And I was one determined young man. And I pursued her for two years. Every day for two years. 
But I was wearing out that emotional roller coaster. And then there was a break in the schedule and everybody left, you know, to, you know, for a whole week. And I did something for the first time. This is, again, my sophomore year. I stayed on campus. That was a horrible decision because <laughs> there's no one around, you know. And, and, and all my thoughts were there and I'd go to the cafeteria, hardly anybody there. But in our dorm, every dorm had a prayer room that you would, you know, go and if you wanted to pray. So here I'm in a pretty much an empty dorm, and I could have prayed, you know, in my room, but I thought maybe if I go to the prayer room, I'll have more luck with God, you know. So I went into the prayer room, and oh, for over an hour, I paced in a big circle. I prayed out loud. I mean, I paced and paced and talked and talked. And I was getting everything out of how much I love this girl and I'm glad I appreciate this and I appreciate this and I'm attracted to this, I'm attracted to that. But God, but God, but God is not working and she would get close and, uh, and I, was just, I was just gushing to God. And in my one-way conversation, God spoke to me. Now again, if you're new to Bible study, it wasn't an audible voice, it wasn't a light coming through the building. And it wasn't any of that. But I knew the, th the thought that hit my mind was definitely, definitely not for me. And I know, because that was not on my radar. And it, 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 I knew it wasn't the enemy. And I, so therefore I knew it was God. And in my pacing, in my talking, I was interrupted by the Lord Most High. And he said, Barry, let her go. No. You know, I'm sure God was thinking, I don't have her in the first place. But he's, I remember, let her go. So then I did what I'm sure none of you never, never ever do with God. I began negotiating. You know, well, if I do this, Barry, let her go. The weight of that, I knew that that would be an end to, to something I really wanted. And I knew how serious it was in my faith journey at that time. I knew the weight of actually doing that. Then I remember hearing God say two words to me. Trust me. Trust me. So I kept praying and walking and came and procking, uh, walking. And, but I remember those words of God. And finally I got to the point knowing and realizing the weight of it. And I literally, with my hands and out loud, I said, okay, God, she's yours. And then I immediately got scared. And I was not wanted to say, just kidding. But I was like, she's yours. But I also remember him saying, trust me. So when everybody came back, I said, Candy, we need to talk. We shared. I, I had a conversation I didn't want to have. And I remember saying, it's, it's not working these past two years. I really care for you. I said, but, and I remember saying something along the line of, I really think that you need to go your way and I need to go my way. And I walked away. And everything in me wanted to turn back and run back and say, oh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I knew what God had asked me to do that I didn't want to do, but I obeyed by faith. And I walked back to my dorm six and I came in my, my up, up second story and I remember it because I, I knew everything about her and her path and her schedule and I knew she'd be walking across the ravine bridge and so I went to my window and looked out the window of the blinds and there she is. And then she's getting close and I can't see her anymore. 
So I ran across the room to the room across the hall where some soccer players were. I banged on the door, and I, and I, just, I think I just walked in. I said, I just need to look out your window. And they're like, dude, okay. So I got the window. There she is. And there she goes. And I remember her turning the corner to go up to her dorm, and she disappeared. My heart sunk, and inside of me I, I thought, and there she goes. <laughs> and it was like a finality. But in my mind, I remember God clearly communicating me, with me, let her go, trust me. Now, thankfully, and this doesn't always happen, as I was doing this, and finally I went this way. And when God's time was right, Candy came my way. And now we're still happily married after 37 and a half years, okay? But I, I remember the weight. How is I going to respond to God? Mary, I think she understood the weight. That God is calling me to do something unique that's never happened before or since. And I, I believe she was smart enough to realize that all my hopes and dreams and plans are to the side, may not ever happen. I, I'm sure she realized in that culture that they were legally and morally committed to each other, that as soon as she started showing, she was going to have questions and criticisms and accusations flying her way and being accused of being unfaithful and an adulterer and, and all that sort of thing. I'm sure all this is happening and all the costs that she was going to have to pay. And she chose to obey, and it was by faith, absolutely by faith. So let me ask you this question. How do you respond when God gets your attention? When God brings things to your mind, he gets your attention, it's an issue of obedience. Are you, you going to obey me in this area, in this relationship? Are you going to obey me in your finances? Are you going to obey me in your, in your career path? Are you going to obey me with children or no children? Are you going to obey me? How do you respond when God gets your attention and you clearly know that he is calling you to obedience, and it, it's, it's serious, it's important. God, maybe God's saying, you need to stop doing that, but I like doing that. And God goes, that's not according to my plan and my will for your life. You need to stop that. Or you need to start doing these things, but I don't want to start doing those things. Maybe you need to trust me for the first time as your Lord and Savior. How do you respond? Here, here's how most human beings respond. No response. Like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. Or we hesitate. Uh, uh, I, well, maybe one day when I feel like it, I'll do it. Or deny. No, I don't ever think that was God. Oh, I just kind of talked. I mean, and you just distract yourself and you don't even go there. Or you know clearly that that's what God wants for your life and you go, heck No. The answer is no. Or you rationalize. Um, well, maybe if I just do a little bit, that I can still enjoy what I'm doing or enjoy whatever, and, and God would be appeased. We kind of rationalize. Mary did none of those. Here's Mary's response. She chose to believe that the messenger for God, what he was saying was from God, she chose to obey, like, okay, and she chose to follow. These are difficult choices. 
But behind these choices or beyond these choices are incredible blessings. Every step of obedience will cost us something. Can you imagine the cost that Mary went through when Joseph found out she was pregnant? Do you remember, remember how she processed her obedience and belief in following God when she told her parents, actually, no, I'm still, I'm still a virgin. But an angel came to me and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give birth to the Messiah. Did you, did you hear how crazy that is? Remember her, can you imagine her friends going, right. She paid a cost, but she obeyed by faith. Here's why we know how she responded. First of all, if you're taking notes, she understood her role and her position. She obeyed because she understood who she was and her role and her position with God. That's why she said, I am the Lord's servant. She had the, the flow chart accurately. That the Lord is God and I am not. The Lord is asking me to do something that is way beyond my comfort zone but you know what? I am his servant. God is God, and I am not. That's her response. She also, her heart, uh, trusted the word of God. Her heart trusted the word of God when she said, may your word to me be fulfilled. He had just said that the, when, when the God speaks, it never fails. She trusted that. Her heart trusted that. That even though it's crazy, even though it's impossible, even though it's going to be completely supernatural and, and a miracle, I'm in because I trust the word of God. The first thing Satan wants us to do is doubt the word of God. Go back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? He wants us to question God. By faith, she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May his word to me be fulfilled. Obedience by faith is the highest form of obedience. Obeying is not easy, especially obeying God. Obeying a God you cannot see. Obeying a God that sometimes is quiet. But trusting the word of God that he has given to us. How to live, how to love, how to lead, how to live in this life. Mary obeyed when she was facing uncertainty she was facing even more questions. She was facing ridicule, coming accusations, and the coming cost. But she chose to obey. But she did it by faith. Did it by faith. So let me ask this question as we land the plane. How are you going to respond to God? Some of you have yet to cross over by faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior. I'm glad you're coming to Grace Point. I'm glad that you're here. Maybe you're here because your spouse really, 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 really wants you to be here. And you're just a good spouse, so you kind of humor them. Or you're here because your parents make you go to church. But you know that God has been calling you. Trust me as your Lord and Savior. Trust my payment on the cross for you. You can keep asking questions, which you should. But at some point, you've got to step out by faith and follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe God's saying, you need to stop doing this. And you know what it is. I don't know. 
I'm not God. Or you need to do something difficult. It's going to cost you. Trust me. Trust me. I pray that you will choose the way Mary chose, to believe that God is calling you to do whatever God is calling you to do, and that you will obey and follow just like Mary did. Obedience by faith is the highest form of obedience. With all her fear and trepidation and questions and everything swirling in her head, because she's a teenage girl, she's real. What an example to follow. Now let me be clear as I close. Whenever you teach on Mary, it could be challenging because of all the things that are out there in our world. Scripture never intended I'm just saying this for clarity, not for confrontation. Scripture never intended for Mary to be worshipped and definitely not deified. Okay? That's not a slam. That's not, I'm just being clear. Mary is blessed over all women. Why? Because she's in a category of one. And she obeyed. But she is never to be prayed to, worshipped, because she is not God. She is the Lord's servant. What a model for all of us this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for choosing a teenage girl to be the carrier of the Messiah. And God, we thank you that she sat down with Luke and he was able to capture her eyewitness account. Lord, help us to remember that she's a real person with real feelings, conflict, questions. But she chose to obey by faith. May we follow you in the same manner. Those, God, who you are calling, you're challenging them. I pray that they would listen to you and obey, even if it's hard. Thank you, God, for being a personal God who loves us and desires for us to follow after you. We give you praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.